This week, by God's grace, we'll conclude our series on love by looking at the supremacy of love. Love is not only more powerful than anything else, as we saw last week, but the Bible here reminds us that love is better than anything else. Love is just better. You know, the series on love has really been encouraging personally and really been challenging personally. And as I have had conversations with many of you and been able to listen to your comments and even read some of your comments on Facebook, <laughs> apparently the, um, our study and our time in 1 Corinthians 13 has bore some fruit in your life, has challenged you in, in many ways as it has me. And therefore, I'd like for us this morning to just give praise to God. To God for any fruit that God would bring forth from our time here in 1 Corinthians. Let's give thanks to the Holy Spirit of God for opening our hearts and our minds so that we might not only understand and receive but seek to live out the truths that he has been delighted to illuminate to our hearts and our minds. Let us thank him that we have just that much more of an idea of what it means to love God and to love each other. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, what a glorious, what a wonderful understanding you give us from your scripture concerning love. Lord, we are unworthy. Lord, we are unmindful of all that is in your love for us and how weak and even immature we are in our love for each other. And so this morning, once again, as we come to your word, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would hear and see and understand. Open our hearts, Lord to the truths and the realities of this virtue of virtues that is agape, your love for us and our love for each other. We pray that the same Holy Spirit that inspired these words from the pen of the Apostle Paul would now illuminate these words for us today. Remind us that we are yours and you are ours forever and ever. Amazing love, how can it be that you, our Lord and our Savior, would die for us? Lord, indeed, it is unfathomable indeed beyond our comprehension. And so this morning we ask just for a little bit of light that we might see beyond the glass that is dimly, that is fogged over, that we would see clearly the love of Christ. This is our prayer this morning that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we've been looking at this idea of love from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and and hopefully we've come to see basically what we're going to look at here this morning as we conclude this passage of Scripture. What we'll see is that love is superior. Now, if we haven't gotten that already, then perhaps this morning as we conclude this short, this brief series on love, you'll get the sense of just how supreme, just how superior love is in the economy of God. This is the point of 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul is making to the Corinthian church, reminding them that love is supreme, that love beats all. 
In fact, from the very beginning, you remember, from the very beginning, Paul reminded them that love is more excelling. As he concluded um, chapter 12, he concluded chapter 12 and going on into chapter 13, he concluded chapter 12 with these words. And he says that I will show you still a more excellent way. Having explained to them the right and proper God-honoring use of spiritual gifts, having explained to them what spiritual gifts are and what they are to be used for, then he moves from that, he says, however, I'm going to show you something even better. Then he breaks forth. In this beautiful diatribe on love. You know, the, the Christians at Corinth, they were an interesting, interesting fellowship of people. They were a cosmopolitan group of Christians, not unlike us in many ways. And they lived in what could have been called an international city, much like Atlanta. They lived in a cultured city, much like Atlanta. They lived in a diverse and educated city, much like Atlanta. They lived in a religious city, just like Atlanta. They lived in a city that was infatuated with the grand and the excitable and the big. Just like Atlanta. Unfortunately, when you read of Paul's letters to the Corinthians, we see that not only was the church in Corinth But unfortunately, Corinth was in the church, much like Atlanta. They liked the flashy. They particularly were infatuated with the phenomenal. They were excited about the miraculous. They were obsessed with the extraordinary. And thus they saw spiritual gifts, not as instruments for the edification of the body, but they saw them as validation, as it were, as symbols or evidence of supernatural power and influence and insight. They saw them as barometers of true spirituality. Again, not much different than Atlanta. Who's got a new revelation? Who's got a new tongue? Who's got the latest and the greatest word from the Lord? They didn't have TBN and they didn't have religious broadcasting, but believe me, if they had it, They'd been chasing the greatest and the latest fads as well. Filling, filling, filling auditoriums to hear somebody tell them that money cometh and money cometh now. Filling large stadiums so they can hear somebody tell them, let it bubble out your belly, let it bubble out your belly. This was the Corinthians. Much like Atlanta. And here is the Apostle Paul. He gets to chapter 13 and he throws some water on that fire. He, he quenches that enthusiasm and he seeks to direct it where it should be. Not upon the spiritual gifts, but upon the gift giver. And he tells them that the gifts are good, but love is better. The gifts 
are good, but love is better. Love is more admirable. Love is more excellent. Love is superior. Love is higher. Love is preferable. Love is grander. Love is finer. Love is greater. And as John Coltrane reminded us, love is supreme. It's just supreme. Why is that so? Why is love so much better? Why is love so much greater? Why is love so much more grand? It's because of what the Bible says. Indeed, what Paul says here as we come to the end of chapter 13, he reminds us that the reason that love is so much better, the reason that love is so supreme is because of these three truths about love. And more than just tell us that love is supreme, the Bible tells us why love is supreme. Love is supreme because compared to everything else, love is eternal. Love is universal and love is incomparable. Love is eternal, love is universal, and love is incomparable. This is why love is the watermark of Christianity. This is why love is the essential non-negotiable of the Christian life. It's eternal. It's universal. It's incomparable. Notice how Paul describes it in describing that it is eternal. He says in verse 8, love never ends. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For he says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Oftentimes, beloved, the greatness of a thing can be measured in how long it lasts. And Paul builds the case that the gifts of the Spirit are not all that great because they don't last. They don't last. Prophecies. Both true and false will pass away. Both true and false. Harold Camping's prophecy is already gone. Beloved, true prophecy is going to pass away. Tongues, the Bible says, both true and false will cease. All of the babbling. At some point or another, Paul tells the Corinthians that which you think is most important, that which you get all excited about, that which you stand up and begin to babble all over the church, that is coming to an end. And you will find it at that point of no use. Knowledge. Revelation, knowledge, words of knowledge, special understandings from God. Some true, some false. They're going to come to an end. And when? When are they going to come to an end? Paul says they're going to come to an end when the perfect comes. When the perfect comes, and what is this perfect? What is the quote-unquote the perfect? Well, the perfect is our perfection in Christ. When we have become perfect in him, when perfection has been realized, when that thing for which we have been redeemed 
it is fulfilled. And you do understand that if you are Christian this morning, the purpose for which you have been redeemed is so that you could be perfect even as your heavenly father is perfect. That's why you've been redeemed. That God is taking the image of God in you and he is working that image so that that which is already perfect in you takes over all of the imperfections so that one day you will stand perfectly complete in Christ Jesus. That's the purpose for which you have been redeemed. There's going to come a day when everyone who has been redeemed in Christ becomes nothing more than a trophy to Jesus Christ. Because we all will have been made over to look like him. That's what we long for. That's what we glory in. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 48 says, be perfect as, your, as God is perfect. Romans 8, 29 says that the purpose for which we have been redeemed is so that we might be conformed to the image of the Son of God. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28 describes this as being complete in Christ. Ephesians 5 and 27 declares that we shall be at the coming of Christ, that we shall be in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, holy and without blemish. Notice also what Paul says about these gifts. He calls them partial that they belong to the age of imperfection. They're partial things. They belong to the age of imperfection. They belong to the times when you can't see clearly. They're partial knowledge. They're partial speaking. They're partial understanding. Now, Paul here is not talking about doing away with tongues and prophecy in these things. For he says over in the next chapter in 14 and verse 8 that I'm, I'm glad he says that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But what he is saying, and this is the point, the point is that love is superior to all of these things. That tongues are not a test of true spirituality. Love is. That prophecy is not a test of true Christianity. Love is. We've all seen it. At least most of us have. If you've been in church for any length of time, particularly in Atlanta. If you've been in church for any particular time, if you've been around people for any length of time in the church, you'll you'll notice this, that oftentimes the meanest, the honoriest, the least loving, the least kind, are the ones who speak in tongues the most. Quick, quick, quick to stand up and stop babbling, coming in on Honda, coming in on Honda, coming in on Honda. (laughs) Beloved, don't be impressed. That's what Paul is saying to them. Don't be impressed with the fleeting. Don't be impressed with the temporal. Don't be impressed with the foolish. There are no rewards in heaven for speaking in tongues. There are no rewards in heaven for having special prophecies. There are no rewards in heaven for having revelation knowledge. If you want to be impressed with something, beloved, be impressed with those who are willing to give their lives in love and service to others. I'd rather have a church full of Christians on fire with love for God and love for their neighbors and love for others than a church that is full of tongue speakers.
You want to be impressed with something. Be impressed with what Paul says he was impressed with in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20. When he tells them that they should be impressed with Timothy. For he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He says, Timothy loves you. He loves you when all the others are seeking their own interests and not the interests of Christ. Timothy stands out at a, as a loving, shining light because he is not concerned about his own interests, but he loves you. You want to be impressed with something. Be impressed with that which does not end. That is love. Tongues will cease. Prophecies will pass away. Words of knowledge will pass away. Because they belong to the partial things. To the temporal things. But love never ends. Somebody has said that all good things must come to an end. That's true, then tongues are good. Prophecy is good. Words of knowledge are good. But they're not great. For while all good things might come to an end, the greatest of things never ends. And that's why the greatest of these it's not tongues. It's not prophecy. It's not words of knowledge. The greatest of these is love. Love is eternal. It never ends. But love is universal too. It never fails. It never fails. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I, become, when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. You know, not only the test of a greatness of thing is, 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 is not only how long it lasts, but also in how useful it is. Not only is greatness, can greatness be measured in how long a thing lasts, but greatness can also be measured in how useful it is. And love is the ultimate utility. For love is always appropriate. Loving is always a good thing. Notice what Paul does here. He places infatuation with tongues and prophecy and special revelation in the realm of childish things. That's where he places it. He places it in the realm of childish things. They belong to the realm of immaturity. And they eventually go the way of G.I. Joe's. When I was a young boy growing up, my neighbor and my best friend, his name was Tony as well. He lived right down the street. He was an only child. He was an only child. And so his parents bought him everything. And whenever I wanted to go and play with toys, I didn't have a whole lot. All we had was balls. And we go, I'd go over to Tony's house and he's got all the latest toys. And I remember as clear as day, the day he let me know that he had a G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. <laughs> and some of you don't know about that. But you go on YouTube and put in that G.I. Joe with a Kung Fu grip. You'll see it, the corniest kind of toy you ever saw. But we were so excited and he got not just G.I. Joe, we had G.I. Joe, but this G.I. Joe had the Kung Fu grip. This was going to be the G.I. Joe that was going to outlast and outbeat all other G.I. Joes. And we were going to play with this for the rest of our lives. 
That was until he got Atari. <laughs> I don't even know what happened to that G.I. Joe. <laughs> Once he got Atari, especially Atari 2, when he got Atari 2, that was it for, to- that was it for dolls. <laughs> Beloved, toys become obsolete. Toys belong to the realm of childish things. Sooner or later, if you are growing up, if you are maturing in mind and body, G.I. Joes become obsolete. These are childish things. For the older you get, the more you begin to see what really matters as a child i thought gi joes mattered as a child i thought ataris mattered as a child paul says i thought tongues mattered as a child i thought prophecy mattered as a child i thought Special revelations mattered. But when I became a man, I put away G.I. Joes. I put away Ataris. And I picked up love. Because there comes a time when G.I. Joes are of no use to me. But love is always useful. There comes a time when tongues are of no use, but love is always useful. There come a time when prophecy will be of no use, but love will always be useful. Love is always good. Love is always right. No matter the situation, no matter the conversation, there is always the application of love. It's always right. It's always the right thing to do to speak in love. Sometimes it's tough, but it's still love. Sometimes you have to say no, but you say it in love. Because love never runs out. Love is never obsolete. Love never fails. It's always useful. It's always applicable. If we have learned anything from our time here in 1 Corinthians, I pray that it has been that, that no matter the circumstances, love is always the proper response. Because not only is it eternal, but it's universal. It should always, always, always be applied. Love is eternal. Love is universal. And lastly, love is incomparable. It is never surpassed. It's nothing you can compare it to. You see what Paul says in, in verse 13? So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, these three, Paul says, these three abide. But the greatest of these is love. The greatness of a thing, beloved, is not only in how long it lasts and and, and not only often measured in how useful it is, but you can measure the greatness of a thing by the other things that you compare it to. By the other things that you compare it to. And so Paul, what Paul does as he comes to an end, he makes an end to this obsession with the miraculous by comparing love, not to tongues, not to prophecy, not to revelation. He compares love to faith and hope. He compares it to faith and hope. In other words, he declares... That what I'm talking about is in a category all its own. All its own. 
Love is an altogether different category, beloved. You don't compare a Ferrari to a Volkswagen. You don't compare filet mignon to chopped liver. And you don't compare, compare LeBron James to Joe Johnson. <laughs> These are in categories, altogether different categories. And so you don't compare love to tongues. You don't compare love to prophecy. You don't compare love to revelation. Love only has two peers. That's faith and hope. And when you get to comparing those two, faith and hope got to take a back seat. They have to move to the back of the bus because love stands on its own. And this is in no way is the apostle here diminishing the virtues of faith and hope. But on the contrary, The idea is not here to denigrate faith and hope, but it's to show you the all-excelling, all-surpassing understanding of the virtue of love. You think faith is good. You think hope is good. Let me tell you about love. Let me tell you about love. And these three, faith, hope, and love, are the distinguishing marks and qualities of the Christian life, are they not? Faith, hope, and love, it doesn't get any better than that. This is what distinguishes the Christian life. These three virtues, they, they form us and inform us. They define us and they determine who we are and what we do as a community of God. Faith. You know, we are a community of faith. That's what we are. I mean, there's no way to denigrate the importance and the significance of faith. Faith, the importance and significance of faith is indisputable. Just a cursory reading of your Bible, you get that. We are saved by faith. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8, we are justified by faith. Romans 5 and verse 1, we walk by faith. 2 Corinthians 5 and 7, we pray in faith. James 5 and 15, we overcome the world. John, 1 John says in 5 and 4, by our faith. Every Sunday morning here at East Point Church, we recite our common faith together because we understand what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 11 and 6 that without faith there is no pleasure in God we are a community of faith faith is important faith is significant but not only are we a community of faith we are a community of hope That's who we are. Hope is an amazing thing, beloved. Someone has said that man can live about 40 days without food. About three days without water. About eight minutes without air. But not a second without hope. Hope is an amazing thing. And this is why we are not only a community of hope, of of faith, we are a community of hope. We deal in hope. We preach hope. We sing hope. We pray hope. First Corinthians, I mean, I mean, Colossians chapter one and verse 27 reminds us that hope is in us. It has been poured in us. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8, hope is the helmet that we wear in our battles against sin, the world, and Satan. Hope. Romans chapter 5 and verse 5 reminds us that hope doesn't disappoint us and hope doesn't disappoint God. There is no disappointment in hope. You know, this week, Oprah Winfrey 
was celebrated for 25 years of bringing people hope. For 25 years, people tuned in to Oprah Winfrey to hear her messages of hope and inspiration. Here's the thing, beloved. But after 25 years, Oprah Winfrey's show is no more. She has gone the way of everything else in this world. It is no more. So now hundreds of thousands of people have to go somewhere else to find hope. Oh, beloved, let us never underestimate this power. Let us never underestimate the power of hope. Let us never underestimate people's need for hope. And these objects of hope, as they run away from Oprah, they're going to run to other things. People hope in Oprah. People hope in Barack Obama. People hope in the Hawks. People hope in their banks. People hope in their companies. People hope in their retirements. But all of these things are going to pass away. The reason that the church of Jesus Christ is a community of hope is because our hope is in the one whom the Bible says is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You can place your hope in him because he's not going anywhere. You can place your hope in him because his station is never going to get tuned out. His show is going to be running for all eternity. And he's not going to change. Oh, beloved, if that was you this week and you're feeling a little down because you can't tune in and see the big O anymore. Let me recommend to you the Lord of Oprah Winfrey. Let me recommend to you the creator and the sustainer of Oprah Winfrey. Let me recommend to you the only one in whom hope has never been disappointed, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Place your hope in him and find out, as Paul says in Colossians 1 and 27, that he will be in you, your hope of glory. You see, Paul's not denigrating faith. Faith is important. He's definitely not denigrating hope. Hope is important. And we are a community of faith. We are a community of hope. And beloved, first and foremost, we are a community of love. Faith and hope are great, but nothing is more important and distinctive than love. Jesus declared in John chapter 13 that they will know that you are my disciples by your faith in one another. No. They will know you are my disciples by your hope with one another. No. He says that they will know that you are my disciples by your Love for one another. Because above the fact that we are a community of faith, above the fact that we are a community of hope, ultimately, beloved, we are a community of love. 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 The church that is faithful is a church that love. It, it, love gives birth to community. Love forms and defines community and communion. It's all over the scriptures. I'll just give you a few in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. We are said that when love, we are to serve one another. In Ephesians chapter 4 and, and verse 2, in love, we patiently bear with one another. 
In 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 12, we are to be increasing and abounding in our love for one another. And then in Colossians chapter 3, Paul says, above patience, above kindness, above forgiveness. If we are to wear anything above it all, when you get up in the morning, you put on love. You put on love. It'll cover everything else. You put on love, it'll cover faith. You put on love, it'll cover hope. You put on love, it'll cover kindness. It'll cover patience. It'll cover humility. It'll cover forgiveness. You put on love and you will be fully clothed in Jesus Christ. Just put on love. Just put on love. And this is why love reigns. This is why love reigns. Faith is good. Hope is great. But love is better. You know, faith has its greatest work in the here and now. Faith has its greatest work in the here and now. Faith, the Bible says, is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 9, no eye had seen, no ear heard, no heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. We believe those things by faith. We believe them now. And that's why we please God. That's why we have the pleasure of God because we have faith. The assurance of things hoped for. We have faith, which is the evidence of things not seen. And that's why faith has its greatest work in the here and now. I don't know about you, but I haven't seen God. Maybe some of you have. I suggest you stay off the beans at night. But I know. And by faith, I long, I long to see what eyes have not seen. I long to know what hearts have not known. I long to understand what minds have not understood. I long to see realized what we cannot even yet imagine. It's possible. Faith has its greatest work in the here and now. So does hope, beloved. For hope is most profitable in the present day. Hope is the assurance, is the expectation of promise and future benefits. We hope in God. We hope in God today because we are assured that God is good. And we are assured that no matter what our present circumstances is, God is going to turn it around and around and around and around. That's hope. I never get too down because I hope in God. And I know he's good. I never get too down because I hope in God that he is turning all things out for the good of those who love him. So I keep hope. Hope is something that I have in my pockets now. Faith is something that I keep in my hip pocket today. And yet... It could be argued, and indeed, it should be argued, that love is going to have its greatest work in eternity. As great as love is now, you hadn't seen anything yet. You know, these two young people down here, 
Andrea and Wendell, they hope to be married on September 3rd of this year. They have faith in each other that they're going to keep their commitments to each other. And on September 3rd, that faith will become sight. That hope will be realized. Well, last evening, we celebrated with Kimberly and Stephen. 28 years of marriage. 28 years of marriage. They're not hoping to be married. Their faith has become sight as they have seen themselves grow closer together and seen their commitments realized. But do you know what? They are still growing in love. As we said last night, the best of their love is yet to come. Beloved, there's going to come a day when in Jesus Christ that our faith becomes sight. The cloud's going to roll back as a scroll. The trump will sound and the Lord shall descend. And there our hope will be finally realized. Our faith will be sight. Our hope will be realized. But it is only then that our love will have just begun. 28 years. 38 years. 58 years. 10,000 years. Bright shining as the sun. We know less days to sing his praise and his love than when we just begun. That's how you know love is so much better. Because you haven't even begun to taste it. You wait until you're not looking through a glass that's fogged over. You wait until you know him even as he knows you. You wait till all of the sin and the imperfections have been moved out of the way. You wait till all of your selfishness and your childishness and your maturity has been done away with. You wait until you see him as he sees you. And then you will realize why Paul says, and the greatest of these is love. You wait. This is why, beloved, the glorious summation of the love of God is found in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You know why love is greater? Because Jesus is greater. That's why love is greater. There is nothing greater than love and there is no love greater than Christ. That's why the songwriter said it so well. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade. To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, those stretch from sky to sky. That's Christ. That's why we love him. That's why it's incomparable. That's why it's indescribable. That's why we sing today and we'll be singing for all eternity. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my king, would die for me? Amazing love, eternal love, universal love, incomparable love. Love that thou, my king, would die for me. Oh, beloved, I pray there's no one here who doesn't know the love of God. 
rather than come to the cross and find there a Savior who in love desires to forgive you of your sins, who in love desires to be in fellowship with you, who in love desires to pour the hope of heaven down in your heart so that you could live in faith now, but ultimately in love with him for all eternity. I pray that you would sing with us as we sing amazing love. How can it be that thou my God, thou my Savior, thou my King would die for me? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, indeed, I have not seen nor ear heard nor entered into the heart of man so that he could even imagine what you have prepared for those who love Christ. If we love him because Heavenly Father you have ordained that he would first love us and give his life as a ransom, as a propitiation, as an offering for the removal of our sins. Oh, Father, thank you for this amazing love. Thank you for this eternal, universal, and incomparable love. Might we in turn Love each other. In Jesus' name we pray.